What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Friends. As always, I'm your host, Mitchell Embry. And when I sat down with our guest this week, he had just gotten back from Bali, where he was stung by a jellyfish. He's our friend, Mr. Chris Young. Man, talking to Chris was such a privilege because he had such an interesting perspective. And the way he lives his life is so much different than the way most of the people I know live theirs. And he had some really great stories. I was lucky enough to catch him while he was in town for a little bit, and he was gracious enough to sit down with me and have this conversation. It was a lot of fun to catch up with him. I haven't seen him in years. We used to hang out all the time, so it was really cool to get that chance to catch up. And I hope everybody out there listening feels the same way after they've listened. Like you got a chance to catch up with an old friend. So pack your bags, strap in, and get ready to go on an adventure with our friend, Mr. Chris Young. That'd be awesome. If you would share those with me, I would just be so happy. I'm so shitty about it. it you got to do that. I forget. I know. I just started a TikTok because the kids love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I got that going on. And uh, TikToks. It's ridiculous. It's, it's... There's so much more to it than I ever thought. Yeah. Um, you can do so much with it. And there's like some good ones. There, there's some really hilarious ones, but you have to sift through some garbage, <laughs> just internet <laughs> trash. Yeah, but apparently you can really like, because I mean you have a pretty substantial amount of followers on your Instagram. I imagine it's because you've just met so many people. Yeah, that's all it is. Just, uh, just from traveling all over the place, it's like, you know, you meet these people, hang out with them at a hostel, or you do this, you do these. So like doing a lot of the traveling that I do. You meet a lot of people, and I do it all alone. All the trips I've gone on is just completely by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you stay at a hostel, which is kind of a group setting, and you it's just a bunch of people also traveling by themselves. So you meet all these people, and then it's just um, immediately like, oh, you know, I'm going to this city. I'm going to this city next. So let's um, let's ex- you know exchange Instagrams or let's keep up that way. Right. Social media is. For travelers, social media is amazing. Yeah. My wife actually travels quite a bit. I've heard you talk about that. Actually, I shouldn't say quite a bit because from my perspective, it's quite a bit. But from your perspective, it's not very often. But she hiked the TMB in Europe. So she did 110 miles in Europe. And then she hiked 90 miles in Patagonia in South America. Oh, real jealous about that. Yeah. It was the pictures are fucking Was that beautiful. in Argentina or in Argentina? Uh, in yeah. Chile. Okay. Well, she was in both. Yeah, it goes the Andes goes so up through both. I'm not exactly sure if the if the whole park, I think the whole park was in Argentina cuz cuz when they were the city that they were in to get into the park is like the southernmost city in South America. Tierra del Fuego. It, an island just is that where they they weren't on an island no okay. so maybe it was like okay. mainland okay she could tell you so much more about it than me yeah because she's she knows but she's done a lot of she has wanderlust and i think given different circumstances she would really really be a person who would appreciate a lot of the things that you get to do in your life but i know just from talking to you that i mean there's one side of the coin and then there's another side of the coin yeah so, are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's fu- let's let's get it done. Say fuck all you want. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> fuck yeah. 
Okay. Cool, because I got a bad mouth sometimes. That's okay. There's so. absolutely, I, dude, there's no limits on this. This right. is, this is what this is, is, is this is just me trying to capture a true representation of a person whom I appreciate. All right. So I, what we usually do is we kind of start as kids. We give everybody yep. like a, an, a background. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Did you go, did you grow up in the South End? Yeah, PRP my whole life uh, up until, so uh, I moved to PRP, you know, before I had memories. So like <laughs> about four, four or something like that, I guess. Yeah. And then um, me and you met in elementary school at Johnsontown. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, Which is crazy. Crazy. Because, you, go ahead. No, you might literally be the first person that I know who's been on the podcast. On the podcast, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and it's it's ironic. It's like, it's kind of funny too, because me and you didn't have like a strong relationship. Mm-mm. We knew each other. It's we didn't hate each other. We didn't. I didn't have friends. Yeah, That's what it was. I didn't have friends. I didn't know how to do it. I was scared. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of the same. <laughs> it, it was just, you know, that's so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we just uh, we knew each other from Johnsontown, mm-hmm. and then uh, I think we went to different middle schools. Then then back in high school, I was like, oh hey, yeah. where did you go to middle school? Farnsley. So you went to Farnsley. Yeah. Cool. Where'd you end up going? I was at Stewart. Okay. That, so really, most not everybody that far yeah. from each other. Most everybody from John, a lot of people from Johnstown went to Stewart, yeah. right? Yeah. There was quite was, a few. And I was like the only one. I started Farnsley. I was like, oh, I know nobody here. Yeah. I think Farnsley had a better reputation. It was a, it was new. Wasn't it pretty new at the time? Yeah. It, that The building. It, it had a good reputation only because it was new. <laughs> <laughs> only because it was new. When you got inside that building, it was just mayhem. So were you at Farnsley with Troy? Because Troy Davis, I think, went to Farnsley. I don't remember much. For, yes, I think so. I I don't remember much from middle school. Who does? I'm yeah, right. It's it seems so. I mean, so long ago. Twenty years ago, we started middle oh school or something like that. <laughs> Twenty two, de- almost two decades ago God. is when we started middle school. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Jacob, I mean, that's where I met Jacob Roney. Oh, okay, cool. Um, that's when me and him. Uh, kind of became best friends. I'm trying to remember uh, Sarah Sidell. Oh, yeah, I remember she her. She went to Farnsley. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That was the, the people I ran around with, at least. Right, and then you guys, that's kind of what kept those relationships, I guess, when you made it. Because Jacob went to Manuel. J- yeah, Jacob went to Manuel, Manuel and we kind of all, uh, yeah, yeah, we just remained friends still um, distantly. But Cause you, Did you guys all go to church together? Because that was no, a big part of no, your no, childhood. No. no, really? Yeah. Um, I, no, he went to a different church. I went to Valley View at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a large part of my childhood. We kind of touched on that earlier. Um, probably one of the most changed in terms of views and, yeah. and lifestyle, I would say, from from high school. But um, yeah. Uh, so shortly, I mean, me and you really developed our friendship as more than acquaintances at PRV. Oh, for sure. You know, that's sure. when we started running around with the same group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we butted heads regularly all in the high time. school. All you want to know time. why? Because I was dumb and you always called me on it, pretty much. <laughs> that's what it was. Like, I, th- I think we're also sh- both strong-willed people. Maybe that's what it is. And I think that's, we're both stubborn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely am stubborn. I'm stubborn as hell. Yeah. I think it's strong-willed people and I have no filter, I think. Yeah. Is a little bit of it too. And I was way 
too sensitive because I was super insecure. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. I was super insecure. And then you would say things without the intentions of hurting my feelings. And then my feelings would get hurt. That's happened. That's been like a theme in my life. I think. <laughs> I, wish. I can tell you, I, you probably don't even remember this. Um, one of my favorite memories, it was shortly after high school. It's when I had started drinking because mm-hmm. like, I didn't drink in high school or smoke or, or do anything in high school. And um, me and you went, I can't even remember the name of the place. It probably doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but there was a uh, Pimps and Hose party. Yeah. Oh, what was that place? Where was, what was that place? I remember it, it was by Louisville. It, it was it, by the university, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it was. Um, it was some random dude who like was an event like party planner yeah, thrower. Yeah. I can't even remember his name. And I went as a as a male stripper. Yeah. I, it was intended for the the men to be the pimps and the girls to be the hoes. Yes, and I went as a hoe. <laughs> so I remember just being black, like brown out. Yeah, I was. I remember like bits and pieces of that night, yeah. and I will never forget. Me being so wasted, I kept, we're leaving the club at this point. I'm naked, almost. (laughs) You you showed up naked. Yeah, I showed up naked. It wasn't from the events that happened. Um, But I'm leaving. I'm naked, pretty much. And I'm trying to hit you in the nuts. Yeah. I was so wasted. And you finally, after so many times, you pushed me to the ground. You pushed me over, and I'm just so drunk. I just (laughs) lay out. And that was my last memory for the night. And I wake, <laughs> I wake up in your basement, but I was fam- unfamiliar with your basement at that time. Oh, yeah. And I remember waking up, looking down at myself, covered in blood, just covered in blood. I'm like, I don't know if this is my blood <laughs> or someone else's blood. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> and I'm just like, for the first minute, I'm just and a, extremely hungover, maybe still drunk too. And just... It just trying to process it. I was like, oh, Mitch, Mitch's house. Oh, he pushed me. Up. Like, okay, this is my blood. That's a good start. You know, <laughs> it's not somebody else's. And I'll just never forget. That. that was like me learning how to drink. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of those experiences. Me learning how to drink was all my friends. We all went over to TJ's dad's apartment and we drank screwdrivers. And I got a little bit too intoxicated and passed out and they put hot sauce on my mouth. <laughs> that, Chris Berry. Yeah. Yep, he was, that was he his move. Uh, so we have a really interesting story that happened right after high school too that I want to tell. And yeah. I, you'll probably remember it. Okay. But I want to touch on high school a little bit because just people will remember you very specifically in a very specific way from high school. And I imagine, I'm sure you don't have regrets about it because that'd be silly. But I'm sure, kind of like you said. I'm so curious about what you're about you, to say. Well, I'll just say you would say you would self-report as being very different, having changed oh, a lot quite since a bit. you got out of high school. Quite a bit. Can you like describe that to people, like what that process was like, what that change was like? Oh man, so, um, so I, so I was extremely religious in high school, um, and then really. The kind of the big thing that made me kind of step back and look at it is that I would go to parties, high school parties. I was never drinking. I was never partaking in anything. I just wanted to be like, oh, these are my friends at school. I want to see them outside of school. I don't want to um, be isolated from them. Like, I want to feel welcomed by my peers. And so I wanted to go to the parties and then kind of um, 
people at the church I was going to, I was kind of um, almost giving me a little bit of judgment from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it kind of made me step back and look like, you know, I was taught, oh, that, you know, that, and I say this with quotation marks around it, like the, the sinners are the ones that need uh, the most help or whatever. And, you know, like, so it's like, I was, wasn't doing anything wrong at all, but everybody almost like, I can't believe you're going to these parties and, and judge me for it. And that kind of started this uh, snowball effect of me just like, well, is this just about judgment or, and and this isn't, this isn't me passing judgment on mm-hmm. any, anybody who believes in it. I'm all about do whatever you like, so long as it doesn't infringe on others. Mm. And that's religion too, and included, you know, I have my, a lot of my family's religious. I love them. I get along with all of them. So I have nothing against religion unless your religion is a religion of oppression. Right. You know? And so that's kind of what I was getting from this. And then it, that just allowed me to kind of step back and view it from a less personal, you know, and a less emotional aspect of it. And then that kind of, um, over the years, I kind of slowly started to drink, um, you know, do all the things I was told I shouldn't do right. and realize that ah, it's not really as bad right. as they made it out to be. And it doesn't change who you are. As a person. No, it's the same. I was still, I would like to think I was still a somewhat of a good person or, yeah. you know, like it didn't make me morally corrupt. Exactly. I think you're a good person. This is why I kind of asked that because this is my perspective. yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody who we went to high school with, you knew all of them, that they were kind of religious. Then also, there was kind of some privilege that seemed to be attached to that. Um, and I felt, and you seemed to have that privilege also. You're always very well dressed. Okay. So it just kind of seemed like you were a person who maybe had a, just a better experience in general. Maybe like, because I knew my family life was a little bit tumultuous and there were things going on that I wasn't super happy about. And, yeah. and I perceived you as being a person who didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. And it, so that, and that's kind of the perspective that I want to get. Cause now stepping back and now as an adult, looking back on it, like just because you were a person who had this religion and you were very involved in it. And just because you dress nice and looked like you had your shit together, doesn't necessarily mean that you had yeah. the, the most, comfortable experience and so that was also part of the reason why i feel like maybe you and i like i didn't accept you well because i was thinking this guy thinks he's better than me and i had a chip on my shoulder because i was insecure like i already said and so like i just struggled to deal with those insecurities because i was i mean i was 14 years old yeah we were all at that we're all processing our own we're all growing up and learning about the world around us you know so what was your childhood like would you how would you describe it so it's funny that you say that. I almost touched on this when you asked me that first question, and I kind of decided to skip over it. But for me, religion was actually um, religion as a whole. And I really, I say when I was religion, I mean me going to church. Right, was my escape from my home life. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get too far into it, but my my stepdad and me had a very troubled relationship. Not physically. I was never physically assaulted, but um, very verbally abused my entire childhood from him. Um, you know, and um, I feared him. I was really scared of him. Uh, I'd never, I was always put down for everything. I was never ever enough, it felt like. Um, a, a whole list of, of, of things that have really shaped who I am today. Um, 
but it kind of one of the reasons that I dressed the way I did was I felt this constant need of approval mm-hmm. um, because I didn't get any approval from him. Um, and then I only saw my dad, my biological father, only a limited amount, not because he wasn't involved, but more so just because of the uh, custody rights. Right. I only saw him every other weekend. He'd pick us up for have uh, dinner with us one night a week. We'd go grab food together or something. So, like in terms of a strong male presence, uh, you know, I told you I have five sisters, right? No brothers. So, in terms of like a, a strong male role model at that age, it just didn't really exist. The only one I had that I was trying to look to didn't like me. Oh, God, yeah. It was a stepfather thing. It's and then, you know so. So for me, religion was my crutch. And as I got older, it was really about the age. It was also simultaneous um, when they, my mom finally split up from him, um, which was because of the way he treated us, uh, largely in part. Um, the, um, which he actually was, uh, it was, he actually did a lot to hide the way he treated me in front of my mother. Yeah. Which made it even harder because she, I don't think she could fully relate to the, my experiences because she never saw them. Not a super cool guy is, uh, the, a, is, the, is the thing that's I'm the getting. Gist. He yeah. was a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, not to get too far into that, but for me, religion was my escape from that. I would go every Sunday morning, night, Wednesday nights. Every time, I, every church event I could get to, I would go because it was my escape from my home life and a place where... For a time, I felt extremely welcomed. For yeah. the first time, I felt, oh, these people actually care about me, you know? So, And then also it was something you could participate in that you knew you wouldn't receive judgment for. E- yeah, exactly. It was like, this is definitely a good thing. Yeah. I think that is a really interesting perspective about you as a person that people will appreciate learning. Yeah. Because one of the things that has really been a theme is when I talked to Tim, he was like, Bro, I heard you got bad grades in high school. I was like, I thought you got a fucking 4.0. I thought you were a genius. I was like, no, man. I was fucking just scraping by. I was just trying to figure it out. I had bad grades too. And it's like, once you realize like, oh, wait a second. No, like a lot of our experiences were the same. We were comparing ourselves to each other and seeing each other as like these ideals. Because we were only, same thing like social media does. We yeah. were only showing the best yep. sides of ourselves and not allowing an intimate look into what our actual experiences was because we were ashamed and because Absolutely. we were insecure. And that just is, I think it's important to, to let people see yeah, like who you really are and like what you're actually dealing with, because then they can really understand. They don't have to see you as who you are. They can see you as who you've been and who you are in context of where you're coming exactly, from. Exactly. Exactly. And that's so important. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, high school, high school is a cruel, cruel world. Yes, it man. is. It's a big part cruel. of my life still for like another like yeah. five more days. So the story that I want to tell. Yeah, please tell me. I'm so curious. Okay. So we were all at Greenwood Boat Docks sledding. Okay. It was the the spring after we graduated high school. A lot of us were in college. And it was spring break. And it fucking snowed. Yeah. And we went down to Greenwood Boat Docks and we were sledding. And I got my my trucks, my car stuck. Uh Uh-huh. And you picked me up. And as we're driving back. There was a dude walking, like trudging through the snow. Do you yeah, remember that guy? It was yeah. snowing. It was cold. And you're like, we should give this dude a ride. I was apprehensive about it. 
and he gets in the car and obviously clearly there's something up with him and you pick up on it very quick and you're looking at me you're like yep all right we need to we need to be conscious of this this person who has just now gotten into this <laughs> and everything was weird you were talking to him a lot like you were trying to like de-escalate the situation it wasn't really escalated but all of a sudden now three young guys in a car together nobody knows what's up he's probably had experiences similar to that that were negative and, and he didn't want to get hurt and we had no clue what we were doing, so we were scared immediately. <laughs> On high alert, for sure. Just what, what, what? And we pull up into that parking lot. You you actually, you were like, okay, I'm only going to take them to this gas station. You made that call on your own because we could no longer articulate this to each other anymore because yeah, we didn't want to talk in front of him. I remember that. And we get to the gas station, and he's like, thanks for the ride. And he, then he tries to sell you yep. this big-ass knife. Yep, I remember that. As, as soon as you talked about the gas station, I was like, oh, yeah. And wild crazy who does that i pick up hitchhikers all the time oh, i'm yeah. saying who gets in somebody's car with a big ass knife and then tries to sell them a knife yeah that was like, wild the most unsettling thing oh my god we just gave this guy yeah. a ride oh my god he could have chopped our heads off with this knife he probably was just trying to say like look please don't rape me i have a knife <laughs> that's probably the main thing he was trying to do honestly but, oh my god that's still i don't know if i've it's been so long. It was just one thing that popped up when we decided we were going to do this together. We have a lot of experiences yeah. together. Oh, yeah. We did a ton of stuff. And we used to go, remember, we, we go to Hooters all the time. All the time. Every Wednesday. Yeah, yes. every Wednesday. Oh yeah. Try to be the wing king. And then you ended up hanging out with a lot of guys that I still hang out with. Yeah. You yeah. lived with Drew Johnson for a little while, yep. didn't you? How yeah. did that happen? Um, I don't, it was, because we, okay, that we I got him a job. Air Postal when I worked there. I remember that. I got him a job. And so me and him just became buddies naturally through that. And then, um, and then, uh, yeah, it just kind of organically happened. Um, uh, and I think he's such a great guy. He is a great guy. I hung out with him on Sunday. I love him Sunday. so much. He's hilarious. But even some of my best friends today, I will not live with them. Yeah. Because I want to still be best friends with them. Right, exactly. You know, and so it was just, it, we, and, you know, we, he was having trouble financially at that time. Yeah. Um, which put a lot of extra stress on it. I mean, we were like 19 year old kids working minimum wage jobs, trying to afford our own place and eat, we're eating ramen noodles. And he's like, I don't have money to do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is not fun. He's like, I'm going to move home. I'm like, you know, and at the time, so what the hell you lose mm -hmm. like you're gonna in retrospect the, the smartest decision could have made <laughs> was to move home you know and eventually i did the same but uh yeah so w i lived with him for a while um he speaks fondly of you we talked about this on last sunday he was one of the people who encouraged me like you got to get him on there. really yeah he um yeah so it ended when we were when we separated or like when he left the apartment that we were at when the relationship came to an end yeah yeah Mutual. well not well at that time it was volatile it was like <laughs> very much a fuck you no fuck you type of and uh but we were all young stupid mm -hmm. you know he's i love that guy so much i haven't talked to him in so long he's hilarious he's got a kid now yeah I'm married kyle platt too yeah kyle's got kids everybody yeah. everybody went and had babies on me yeah but they're all doing their dad thing um, it's really weird. It's a paradox. I, I love children. 
not in a creepy way, but you know, <laughs> uh, 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 just children are innocent, full of wonder, full of life, inquisitive. I love that about them. Um, but I do not want a kid. Me either. I do not want a child. Um, it's just so restrictive. Yeah. And I live a pretty free lifestyle, you know? Sarah and I have talked about it and it's just like, for now at least, the sacrifices that would be necessary in order to do it correctly are just not sacrifices that I'm prepared to make yet. Yeah. And so if I'm going to make a baby, I'm going to do it exactly. as well as I can. 100. Exactly. And so exactly. right now I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's exactly. If I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. And I'm not ready to be all in, especially mm-hmm. because of my experiences in childhood at childhood. Like mm-hmm. I never felt welcomed. I want to be the, the male role model that I never had when I was younger. Not never had. I had male role model. I don't want it to sound like I was like destitute, but right. But I want to be that for my son. Exactly. So do you? You or don't daughter. Do you want kids no. eventually? No, no, not ever. No. As I don't want to. I'm a never say never type of person. But as of right now, my mentality is no. I'll never have kids. Um, but it's um. It's. Yeah, I, I just I still got a lot of the world to see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, in my job currently, it doesn't it doesn't mesh very well. Although, my boss has a kid, and it's working great for him. Yeah. Um. He actually had the baby last year. Oh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it. That's that kind of is a great segue. I'm sure I wanted to talk to you a little bit about childhood. We've now spent about 20 minutes talking yeah. about it, which is good. And high school, because that's what a lot of people end up talking about. But for you, I imagine the majority of the interesting stories that you have took place after that time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, did you did you start off going? Did you go to college after high school? Uh, yeah, I've, I actually have a bachelor's in um, business with an emphasis on marketing. That's cool. Where did you get that from? Um, so I started at Bellarmine okay, cool. University. I went to Bellarmine for about half of my university career. Um, and then moved to, uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I finished off at Ohio Dominican University, cool. which is a, a school similar, a private Catholic school, just mm-hmm. like Bellarmine was. Um, but, uh, yeah, moved there, got my bachelor's, uh, and then decided after I graduated that I will probably never, ever use that degree <laughs> uh, in a traditional sense. Yeah. Um, so kind of a breakdown, I guess. So I went to university one summer. I decided at a whim, I decided to go be a raft guy, a whitewater raft. Oh uh, yeah. I remember when you were doing that Yeah, in Tennessee. Um, and I fell in love with that job. So I did that for a summer. Um, it was, it was one of those things like you went there and just amazed at this world that exists. And you're like, this, this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah. Like, this is, this is me. This is everything I love. All wrapped. I get to work. I get to do physical activities. I get to be outside, and I get to have fun and make a little bit of money. Cool people, I imagine. Also, I, may, I mean, some of the coolest and some of the worst, surprisingly. <laughs> surprisingly. But some of the most amazing people, like a lot of my best friends that I have today, are, are from that community. But so I did that, and then that first summer is when I decided. While I was there, I just I had to. It was a decision, but also a decision that's kind of made for me uh, to move up to Columbus, Ohio, because my stepdad, I got free university at Bellarmine. 
Oh, nice. Because my stepdad worked there. Um, and um, mostly free. I had to pay some small, uh, a few thousand each semester, but mostly but free. Compared to what Bellarmine Basically is, free. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. More or less free. That's awesome. Um, and then he left Bellarmine. So at that point, it's like, okay, I can't afford this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, especially if I'm just getting a business degree. You know, it'd be different if I was going to be a doctor or an accountant or a guaranteed high paying job. Yeah, and but, then you'd burden those loans if you had to. Exactly. Exactly. But um, he moved to Ohio Dominican University and in his contract, he also, uh, when they hired him, basically made the outline that you have to also give free university to my stepson. And so I moved up there. If it wasn't for that, I probably would not have finished college because mm. I was unsure of what I wanted to do. And I just didn't see the point of paying whatever, you know, being $50,000 in debt by the time I was done. And then, um, so, but then I still kept the rafting job. I did that for actually seven summers in a row. Nice. Um, but I started the rafting job. I did that every summer out of college and it took me a while to finish college. Oh, it took everybody a while. Yeah. It turns out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I graduated when I was like 24. I think I was like 26. Yeah. I, I mean, I was almost 25. Um, if I'd gone one more semester, it would have been 25. Hey, brother, you got it though. So yeah. Who, yeah. No yeah, shame yeah. I'm in that here. Game. I'm here. But so then when I graduated, it was kind of, you're getting the, the family pressure. So you're going to get internships now. You're going to uh, start. I'm like, I think I'm just going to go back and raft again. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just all really, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, none of them like were unsupportive, but not very supportive at the time. And then, um, so from there I did that for seven summers and then I kind of got introduced into my current job through a guy I met rafting, um, which to the listeners that may not realize, I actually work on a, uh, a large scale cannabis farm. In California, and um, so I kind of got introduced there. Um, I just met a really cool guy who had some access to the industry, brought me in, um, and then I've slowly moved my way up. So yeah, now I currently live in Northern California, mm. growing which area? Super, super far north. Um, so I'm actually fairly close to Oregon. Okay, gotcha. Um, in the redwoods, um, it's I. So I live, I was telling you earlier, I live in a pretty remote area and I have to drive through the Redwoods to actually get to the closest city. That's so cool. We stayed in Mendocino when we were there. Yep. So I, you, Humboldt, so Mendocino yeah. and Humboldt's just north of Mendocino. Yeah. I live just east of like basically my whole drive to the city is all the way through Humboldt County. Gotcha. And then, but like when I go back to the farm, it's just outside. Beautiful area. One of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Cliffs. Gorgeous. Fucking, I remember when the succulent thing started in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Everybody had succulents. And I was like, oh, these are cool. These are cool little plants. And then we went to to California. I was like, these motherfuckers are growing on everything. They're just growing on everything. It looks like Jurassic. It it does. It looks like literally an ancient prehistoric time. You have the biggest trees in the world. Crazy big. The biggest tree. I mean, massive, unfathomably big. Just one of those, I still, I still go up and stand at the bottom and look up and just, what is this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, gorgeous. Um, but I've done that for, I've been in, it's hard to really put a timeline on it because it's a seasonal job, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, cause up there, a lot of people kind of assume California is always warm. 
it up in the north we have seasons just like we have here and even probably more extreme than here yeah um but uh yeah it's too cold right now there's snow up there also mm-hmm. um so you you could grow because we do have greenhouses but it's uh not cost efficient really. yeah that makes sense so you were you you said you rafted for seven years seven summers yeah there had to have been some crazy shit that happened in seven years of doing that job how many times did you almost die in a true sense i think there was actually one time that's fucking terrifying that i actually that i I mean, there's a lot of times you go through some crazy things. Oh shit, man! I almost fucking died. Did you get like stuck on a rock with the water? Because that that that's that's what kills you. Actually, I've heard that story. <laughs> yeah. Those stories of yeah. that, and that fucking terrifies me, Chris. That's, it freaks me out so it bad. Terrifies me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I've come. It, it's one of those things that you're scared of it, and then you realize all the potential hazards, and you get more scared. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, I thought this was bad. This could be way worse than I even imagined. <laughs> Holy shit. I do this for fun. <laughs> uh, so, um, some, or some people kind of, it kind of almost goes one of two ways. You almost have that mentality, or you have the other one, and it's like, oh, I've done this for so long. I've never gotten hurt. I've never really, I'm good. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. That uh, gets dangerous when you get like that, I bet. I mean, I've had some. I've had some ins- uh, okay. So first off, too, there's one thing about my rafting that's a little bit different than than most of the. So all the rivers that people have gone rafting on out here, uh, the New Gali, Nolichucky, I don't know, you know, Chattanooga or uh, Chattooga. Sorry, um, all these rivers, all those rivers, almost all of the rivers on the East Coast are destination rivers. So that means that you go to that river. Only to raft it. The only reason you're there in that area is because you're going rafting and the camping and everything else goes around the fact that you're rafting. Okay. I'm located about an hour outside of Gatlinburg. So a lot of our business is people going to Gatlinburg, seeing this rafting place and going, oh, that might be a cool activity while we're here. And then they go rafting. So like total noobs. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another word for Just, it. I mean, I've seen the most, I've seen people put life jackets on as like diapers like try to put their legs through it thinking that it it went around their waist like a harness and or just helmets backwards i mean grabbing the the paddle by the paddle blade while the handle's out i'm like what are you (laughs) what are you doing yeah there's i don't you shouldn't go rafting yeah did you at least look at a picture before you came to this or something (laughs) i mean it was i mean some of you get the common questions how deep's the river it's like it's a river yeah somewhere between an inch and 20 feet i don't <laughs> hop in and find out because i have no idea where, you know uh or does the river go in a circle i'm like well that doesn't <laughs> that defies all laws of physics <laughs> it's like a lazy river but fast yeah. <laughs> that's physically un- impossible that just could not happen you know it just do people die yeah yeah people die doing this like <laughs> Uh, did, what have you never heard of this sport before? You That's know, hilarious. um, it, so it gets pretty. I mean, I've had. I used to. Uh, I mean, you kind of go through phases. I used to go through like your second, third year. That's when you start really like. Uh, you're starting to your first year. You are a noob, and you're always constantly like, oh, oh, oh. I hope I don't. I hope I don't flip. I hope I don't. What What am I doing? Da da da. And you're and then you come in second year. You're like, man, I kind of got this figured. And you do not have it figured out. <laughs> you're still learning, you know? And so y- your second and third, you say, uh, 
our, our our joke is that a second year guide is the most dangerous guide on the river because they think they know what they're doing, but they don't. And so you just swim people, you're flipping boats, you're dump truck, what we call dump truck, which is you basically drop the whole boat in and then mm-hmm. you drop it back down and you're still in. Everybody's everywhere. Uh, but it's just when you have those type of people, though, the tourists that they didn't come to raft, it's not your generally adventurous people. They didn't look this up. It was just a your normal tourists who wants to do touristy things and go shopping and eat eat the Laffy Taffy that they make on the strip. You know, like right. do all the touristy things. Probably some very out of shape people. Uh, we call them American size. <laughs> some American I mean, size people. I, I've I've had to take <laughs> I've had to take two life vests and clip them to each other. Mm. And put it on somebody because they were so big. Yeah. And that's a danger. Like there should definitely be a cutoff. Oh yeah. Because it becomes dangerous, not just for that person, but for everyone in that boat. Uh, I mean, I guess you're less likely to flip because it's pretty sunk into the yeah. water. No, but, um, mass, I mean, crazy stories where it's like, I did have one story or I did have one time where I thought I was going to die. And that was my first year ever rafting actually. And I went with somebody that was experienced, but not experienced on the river that we were going on. And it's an extremely dangerous river. It's um that time that I had rafted it, it was like its second or third year of even being a raftable river. They basically um basically they put a dam in on this lake that they had completely just walled off. Um, I think that's the story. I don't know how, why it started. Uh, basically, they started opening up this dam and making it into a river, oh. into what was essentially a creek up yeah. until that point. And so you're rafting through trees because the water line goes up into the trees, which just creates a bunch of obstacles for your boat or, like we were talking about earlier, for you to get pinned on right. oh, gosh. by the water. And uh, so I fall out. I fall out get sucked under the boat and just one of those moments you're my head's hitting the bottom of the boat and I'm trying to pull myself out from underneath scraping either way I can and then I get just sucked deep 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 and I'm rolling and it's just one of those things like all right, all right you got to stay calm because panicking isn't going to do you anything but then it's like this thing's like all right, all right I really need to get to the surface though because I'm about to run out of breath and it's just you're trying to remain calm trying to remain calm but you're like, this is getting extremely serious. And so I came up, I came up, I swam back to the boat. They go to grab me by my vest to get me back in. And we hit another, uh, what we call it, we call them holes. That's just basically another part of the rapid that's pretty intense. We hit it, boat stops, I continue back into the water. And that happened basically three times. Very similar, kind of get sucked under rotated under the water hitting the bottom of the boat sometimes i get back out swim to the boat they try to get me in i go back in again before they can so between the fact that i'm being held underwater for so long and then coming out and physically paddling as hard as i can doing the most physical exertion like physically exerting myself to the point of of exhaustion and then getting sucked back under where i have no breath so that happened three times, and it Goodness was gracious. it was on that last time where I'm swimming back to the fourth time. Where I'm like, in all of this, I'm also trying to look downstream and avoid trees, right? And on that last one, it was finally, 
if I don't, if I don't get in, I don't know if I have any energy to do that. I don't know if I can do this again. Yeah. And it was at that point. And while I'm doing this, as I'm swimming back to the boat, I'm trying to keep an eye on them because you kind of want to get feet. Sometimes they'll give you feedback like, you know, swim this way or, you know, like, so I'm, I'm trying to look towards the more experienced people, get feedback, avoid the trees, getting sucked under. My ears are ringing from the lack of oxygen and I'm looking at them and their eyes are just ginormous and just those oh fuck eyes and i'm like which then freaks me out more and so i'm just like this is it like this could be it they got me in everything was fine nice okay good. but that was the one time i felt like that was probably the one it's, it's the chioa river and that was the first time i think that was the first maybe the second i think it was the first time i ever rafted it really and it became my favorite river really it's my favorite river i love paddling that river do you think there's something about that experience? Yeah. You think that is? Most certainly. So you're like, do you consider yourself like an adrenaline junkie? No, no. I I think other people might say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't consider myself one. It's not, I think it more so just created a relationship with that river that I didn't have with any other river. And so I respected it more than others. And so every time that I rafted it, it felt like I was like, conquering a fear mm. of mine it was an accomplishment more than a, a and, it, and it did scare the shit out of me every time and i was to this and i every time i would get on it i would always tell my boat i'm scared of this river every time i would always let them know i'm really scared of this river and i think it kind of keeps me on a high alert just fully like uh, fully aware of everything that's going on. So you're very, you're just very in the moment. Always. It, there's just nothing but in the moment. Thing. Yeah. It, that, I, that is the one beautiful thing about rafting in general. I mean, you could have anything happen to you. And as soon as you get in that boat on the water, it's like all of that's, it's not even that you have to consciously put it to the side. It just goes. You're just like, I have to be here. There's this class five rapid <laughs> doesn't give a shit that my <laughs> girlfriend just broke up with me. Right. It'll eat me. <laughs> so. Have you ever watched, um, oh gosh, what is it called? That Alex Hanold documentary? Oh, Alex Hanold? Free Solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I've been meaning to. Um, I need to buy it because I don't want to stream it. I want to support. Alex Hanold is a great guy aside from the fact that he's an amazing climber. He does a lot of like, um, uh, he's like very eco-friendly. He's very like uh, climate conscious and he's just, a. he used to live in a van too. Yeah. Um, so I think he's, I want to support him and he kind of is on like the fringe of sports, you know, so like rafting, kayaking, climbing, slacklining is another one. Um, these are all kind of fringe sports. You do them because you love them. You're never going to get rich doing them. Right. Maybe he is, maybe he's pretty well off, but because he's the all time best. Right. And one of the all time best. Um, and so, and most recognized too, not just the best, but most recognized. So, you know, these are, yeah, I want to see that movie. Basically. So you're not, so I'm not far off by kind of like making that comparison. Cause when I hear you talk about like rafting and like being a rafting guide, I think to myself like daily risk, putting yourself in that situation where like, Obviously, it's it's a mitigated risk. Yeah, you've planned mm-hmm. ahead. You've done everything that you need to do in order to mi- to mitigate the risk as much as possible. Yeah, but you know that something could always happen. Yeah, 
I'm definitely not comparing myself to Alex Honnold. Well, that, okay, yeah. That guy is, is leaps and bounds more adventurous than me. Um, I mean, the idea of free soloing anything, 20 feet high, 30 feet high, it is insane to me. To free solo uh, LCAP is... It's an amazing fucking document. Yeah, I'm going to see it because uh, I'm also a fan of Jimmy Chen, which is one of the uh, photographers because uh, I'm also in a photography, like I was saying earlier, and um, he is also a badass climber and adventurer, but while he's doing all those things, he's also documenting what Alex Honnold did. Yeah. So I'm a fan of his also. I want to see the whole thing, but no, I, don't not, I do not compare myself to Alex Honnold. But to also put it in perspective, the river that I worked on is generally mostly fairly tame. Mm -hmm. um, so you could take those fat tourists out. Yeah, exactly. That's the only reason I would. There there was hmm, maybe one time that I said, I, was like, I just don't know if I'm comfortable taking these people down. I, don't, I think they I think they looked at me and said, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're taking them down, uh, which is a bad way to operate. But so the river that I worked on was is fairly tame. It, it is a situation. It is an unknown like unknown things can happen even on a tame river numbers of things can go wrong so i don't want to say it's 100 percent safe nothing's ever going to happen people have definitely broken bones people have definitely died on our river um boats get pinned people get pinned it happens but most of my dangerous things with rafting were me voluntarily going with other raft guides and not as a job um so in that sense yeah i was kind of an adrenaline junkie because i did want to I was voluntarily going on way more dangerous stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess I am, I guess some other people would call me an adrenaline mm -hmm. junkie, but it feels weird. I, I don't know if it's like almost sounds, makes me feel cocky if I say yeah. that. Well, it also, it, it has an air of maybe recklessness yeah. that is probably not fair Yeah, because while you're seeking after these experiences, these like, experiences where you have to be very in the moment mm -hmm. because it's a life or death situation yep. or if not life or death potential, potential serious injury potential yeah, life or death though for yeah. sure yeah. um it, it almost makes it seem like well you're reckless to seek that out but you're doing it in such a way to where you're trying to stay as safe as possible absolutely and like i, I can just really relate or i guess i can't really relate to that but i can really appreciate that perspective and wanting to seek that out because for me it's not been like a big thing, but Sarah's been taking me hiking. Nice. And in the process of going on these big hikes, we'll go to like pretty high elevations and we'll have to kind of like scrabble across some stuff that people have died yeah. in these exact same situations. Heights? I don't love them, okay. but I do love them okay. because uh, I, I like, I, I'm scared, mm -hmm. but it's exhilarating. Yep. And, yep, it's, yep, yep. and as a teacher, what you would call it, what you would call it for me is the zone of optimal proximity. I am outside of my comfort zone enough to where I'm on high alert. I'm very aware of what's happening and I'm having to do things that I'm not usually comfortable with doing, but it's not so far out of my zone that I don't feel like I'm capable of accomplishing. It's not a dehabilitating type of scenario. Yes. Yeah. But, but unnerving for sure. For sure. Okay. And so like having put myself in these situations and planning to, and, lo and looking forward to putting myself in, in them again, and doing like really fun stuff. Like so the first one we did was Indian Staircase. Have you ever done Indian Staircase at Red River Gorge? Um I think I'll, I think I'll, it's been over a decade since I've been I've, it's been uh 8 years since I've lived in Louisville. So I think so. It's 
fairly benign. Like okay. really, once you do it, it's really just kind of like it is a it it, it it's a, a side of a cliff, and it's fairly steep. Yep. And but it's definitely not something that you'd have to be being a jackass to die yeah. on it. Yeah. But you could. <laughs> But it's just like a little squirrely and some of the times it's like hard. You got to like lift yourself up over like difficult situations and it was a little bit scary, but it was fun. Then we did cloud splitter and we got up really, really high on top of this big rock. And it was like, okay, that was a little bit scary. We had to pull ourselves up with ropes and stuff like that. But I did it and I pulled it off. She, She really introduced me to it in the perfect way. Then when we were on our honeymoon, we did Mount Storm King. Okay. And there is a place where you get to where it's like you are now off the maintained path. Are these, are these all Red River Gorge? No, this one was in okay. the Olympic Peninsula when we were on. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And so okay. that one was really, we did, I think it was close to like 2,200 feet in elevation, which isn't a lot, but like we start, we went up that, that high in the experience. So it was over like two miles. We got 2,000 feet of elevation. It was basically switchbacks the whole way. It was a yep. bitch. And then we got to the top. And we were pulling ourselves up by ropes, like hand over fist. Oh, nice. And I used to be a lot fatter than I am now, yep. too. So those things weren't possible for me. <laughs> and now they've become possible for me. Yeah. And so, like, I'm just kind of expanding myself and, like, learning, like, more about what I'm capable of physically. And it's been really exciting. And that's one of the, that's one of the beautiful things about it is when you take yourself out of that comfort zone and you put yourself somewhere that you're not used to and you do it. And then at the end, you look back and you're like, oh, that was nothing. Right. Then, then you almost get this mentality of like, the next time you're faced with this thing that may th- make you, b- before you embark on it, it feels, oh man, this might be out of my ability. And then you're like, well, maybe I, th- I thought that last time too, and I did it. So I bet I, I can do this, you know? So it almost gives you this, even like that more confidence of like, or understanding that the things that you think aren't possible are probably possible, like uh, hard most certainly hard and difficult, but possible. And that opens up. I mean, that's what personal growth is. So you can make that connection between like climbing up the side of a mountain or climbing into a really dangerous like rafting situation. But then you can also make the connection like a couple of months ago, I'd been a member of this church playing music at this church for eight years, standing out in front of people, like representing myself as a Christian and knowing in my heart, like I don't, actually believe this like i'm misrepresenting myself yep and feeling bad about it and do they know this they do now okay okay so it was one of those moments where i was like i don't know if i feel comfortable coming out basically i was talking to my gay friend about it and he was like you came out (laughs) just just like not as gay but just as not a christian and so i was like but i had recent not recently but probably about two years earlier, I'd ended a really long relationship, a relationship that had, in its actual span of us being a couple was maybe like five years long. But in, in my mind, it had been like a 10 year thing, something yeah. that I'd been trapped in. And I ended it and I made that call and it was hard. Yeah. And it was scary. And it was like, am I like, like completely shifting my, like my current plan into something totally unknown and totally different? And then I did it and it was like, oh, well, fuck, shit got better. I met my wife. She's yep. amazing. Things got better. And so like then I was starting to make this podcast and I was like, well, I want to be able to like drink on here and like say fuck yeah. and like talk about how I actually feel. And I can't do that while I'm 
standing in front of these people pretending to be what I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I got to break this cycle. And so I told everybody how, and things have gotten better. I still am a member of the community. I'm not a leader in the community, which I actually appreciate. Yep. But I still have the friendships and all that stuff didn't go away. And then, you know, I took it even further and I took another risk and I quit my job and now I'm moving into this other thing. And it's really just, it's empowered me to, to be like, okay, well, I've done that. Maybe I can also do this and maybe I'll come out the other side of it better off like I did last time. The same relationship that I kind of, I had with rafting is so that I, like I said, it was at a whim. I got, basically I like asked a, a guy who I had met working with, um, my buddy Dusty, he had done it for like 10 years. I met him serving tables at uh, Texas Roadhouse. and On I, Dixie Highway? On Outer Loop. Oh, yeah. be- the better one. Yeah. <laughs> so I worked I worked there with him. I met him and me and him hit it off. And I was like constantly just hey, like, how do you get into this? I want to do this. This is amazing. Da, da, da. He's like, dude, let me just talk to my old manager see if I can get you a job. And uh, see if I can get you trained because you have to go through training and stuff, obviously you have to go through training. And so he, he contacted him and he comes to me and goes, I got good news. I got bad news. And I, I go, okay, what's that mean? And he's like, you got a job, uh, but you have to be there in eight days for training. And so that literally meant I had to get up and move in eight days. Oh my gosh. So it literally took me about an hour of just like, what can I really do this? Like, is this, and then finally it's like, hell yeah. This is something I've always wanted to do. I remember going rafting for one of the first times when I was like 15 or 16 in Tennessee and being like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this so bad. And then it kind of like, it was like that lost dream almost, you know? And then, so I was like 22, met this guy. He's like, yeah, you got you can do it, but you got to be there in eight days. It's like, all right. Basically it was almost an, it took me about an hour and be like, cool. Called my mom. I was like, hey, I'm going to Tennessee for the summer. Call my work. Hey, uh, here's an eight-day notice. <laughs> I'll work up until the day I leave. Yeah. You know? And um, That's a fair. I mean, it's a restaurant business. So, I mean. Yeah, like, it wasn't. It didn't cripple them. Yeah. <laughs> they were fine. Yeah. <laughs> they found another dumbass server to take <laughs> my place. So, <laughs> you know, not irreplaceable in serving. Um, but, so, yeah. And then I went down there. And I pulled up and I kind of knew the mentality down there. So I literally, I had no money, but I bought a six pack of beer and I saved one joint and I rolled up there and I was like, Hey, I'm Chris, uh, Dusty sent me down here. And it was a, his brother, Dusty's brother just so happened to be sitting there. It's like, are you Chris? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, he's like, oh, come on, man. I was like, I got a joint and a beer if you want. He's like, you know how to come to Hartford. I was like, yeah, man. Hell yeah. I'll never forget it. I'll, I, I constantly remember the people that were sitting at that. It was literally just listening to like bluegrass music, drinking beers, smoking joints, just hanging out, you know? Getting ready to go rafting. Yeah. It, it was, I, I got there at night. So it was like a, a kind of a nighttime thing. And then uh, I started training the next morning. And it was just like, like I told you, I went there and it was just like, this world exists. Holy shit. I just made this decision. I was super scared as I was driving. Like one of those things, like, I know this feels right, but what have I done? You know, did I just, what if I don't make it through training? What if, uh, you know, every possible scenario hits your head of like, what if this happens or that happens or this happens? Have I made the right decision? And then I got there and I was like, 
this is absolutely right. Like I've never felt happier or more at peace with who I am as a person than this, you know? And it, that was the catalyst. I told you that kind of like made me who I am today. It's someone who's like, all right, you want to go, you like the guy's like, Hey, you want to go to California and work? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. You know, like very willing to make decisions. And now it's to this point, people are like, Oh, you know, you're, you're super lucky. Um, which it's not luck. It was a plan, you know, yeah. it was designed this way. Um, and I am lucky 100% not to take that away. I am very fortunate to be able to live the life that I live. Um, but yeah, it just, it just all fell into place. And now I'm at the point where the whole traditional lifestyle of a wife and kids and working a nine to five job and having, you know, like for me personally, I couldn't think of anything that would make me more miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of a lifestyle that would make me want to, uh, I couldn't do it. That works for some people. Like, I, again, I'm all about whatever makes you happy mm -hmm. so long as it doesn't in front that is a perfect structure for some but for me i just couldn't imagine anything more painful it's not great i definitely think there are lots of people who look at the way that you live your life and are envious about it yeah so now you you met this guy right rider rafting whitewater rafting he gave you an opportunity mm -hmm. to move across the country <laughs> did you know at the time that there was going to be that it was going to be such a lucrative market. Was that something that you were aware of or was it just, you wanted to take a risk and it sounded like something that was awesome. Um, so at this point I was, uh, kind of your young naive stoner, you right. know, <laughs> I just like, weed is the best man. <laughs> I love weed. Everything. Uh, weed should be legal. It's a magical. And, um, so I wanted to, at that point I wanted to be a part of the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it's like, you know, I still think cannabis is amazing. Um, it's lost a lot of the novelty for me. I'm just like, oh man, you know, like, da -da -da. holy shit. Just the magic, the magic part of it. I mean, not really. I still, there's a magic part of it to it. Like I'm, uh, much more excited about the horticulture side of it. Like, uh, cannabis is just a beautiful plant. If you watch it grow through its life, it goes from this, you, we clone ours. Mm -hmm. So they actually start as clones, little, I mean literally essentially like the end of a, a leaf you cut off and you put in the so you watch it transform from this this tiny little stem that you just put in the soil to a plant that's taller than you and just watching it throughout its life of its of its phases it you know pops out the hairs and then those hairs get really colorful and each strain has a different color so it's like you know the papaya pops a pink one or uh, this one will pop this greenish whitish one and the other one and then you start watching those transform into orange hairs while the rest of the plant turns purple and gr and so it's just a magical plant to grow i've seen your instagram um, pictures and it's beautiful i mean yeah and I, I i still so it is still magical in a way but it's not magical in, in the sense of me being a 23 three year old pot it's oh, yeah. <laughs> man weed's the best <laughs> <laughs> so um so I, at that point I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to be a part of it some, but it was more of that stoner mentality at this point. But now, um, some of it is, um, I believe in it. It's a medicine for a lot of people. Um, and I don't smoke, uh, quite like I used to. Um, but I use it, uh, I have 
insane dreams, um, nightmares often. Um, and that's one of the only things that knocks them out for me. So I, I use it as a medicine. I, I smoked all throughout college. Um, it does help me focus my attention, believe it or not. If I'm, it's a, it's a weird, uh, weird line there. It can kind of send me in a different direction, but usually if I'm already doing an activity and I smoke, it just hones me in. So I, I do use it of, n- instead of just becoming a 24 seven stoner. Um, it's definitely, I don't smoke like that anymore. Um, and I do use it more for its benefits. Mm. I, you know, I definitely want to start smoking. I smoke cause I like to get high. Yeah. That was it. You know, I mean, getting high is awesome. It's great. Um, but now I've definitely understood that it's, it's importance, but more than just getting high, you know, for, and for me, it's attention and sleeping. Um, for somebody that may be pain, for somebody else that may be seizures, uh, you know, which I'm not comparing seizures to attention disorders or whatever. Um, but it has, it has benefits in all of those areas across the board, whether you're a stage four cancer patient or somebody who gets migraines. You know, you're a fan of Joe Rogan. Yes. So have you the episodes that he does with, uh, gosh, Graham Hancock and his, oh, yeah. his feelings yeah. about how like maybe uh, human civilization is older than we think it is. And it got completely wiped out. Yeah. I, I love that podcast. Uh, Jamie, could you look that up for us, please? Jamie, please. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Jamie. Um, do you think, do you think of, of cannabis in that way as like maybe it was a, a crop that, has evolved next to humans and it's that's why there seems to be so many benefits to the human race absolutely actually so um not to get into too much of the um so cannabis has been uh around for about ten thousand years that we know of um and the agricultural revolution with humans when we started when we moved from hunter gatherer into um agriculturists you know farmers uh was actually about the same time, 10 to 12,000 years ago is when that happened with humans, you know, assuming you believe in evolution and whatnot. Um, and so cannabis has been around for about 10,000 years and it started in the Hindu Kush region. Um, so yeah, we actually have uh, endocannabinoid receptors in our body that are literally, we have a cannabinoid system in our body that's meant to accept THC. Right. Um, so now I don't, know to what volume that speaks of whether how how it should be used you know whether it should be used sparingly or we should just you know it's just one of those things too just in the sense that somebody could do a carnivore diet or somebody could do a vegan diet have two different like two different people could literally one could do a carnivore diet and see amazing benefits the other could do a vegan diet and see amazing benefits and if you switch them they may hate it. Yeah, I've tried being vegan. Um, that lasted very shortly, <laughs> very shortly. Not only, not just because I like meat and dairy, but also because I just didn't feel good. Yeah, it did not make me feel good. Um, so, but yeah, humans are very diverse. So, like, all of us are going to respond differently. To different yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's across the board. Like, you know, so. Um, for me, it works great. I do not recommend weed for everybody. Right? Yeah. Sorry. Cannabis. I don't recommend cannabis for, for everyone. Um, like 
that's probably one of my biggest frustrations in the industry is that people um, tout it, people like promote it as this magical miracle, fix all, cure all drug, and it's not. For some people, it's really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, people who are um, schizophrenic, it's really bad for schizophrenic people or people that uh, could become schizophrenic. It'll cause it to to manifest. Um, and some people don't see the benefits that others be- do from it. I, I, CBD is good. Mm-hmm. Um, CBD is awesome. It's more of the medicinal part of it. Everybody knows about CBD now. It's yeah. the non-psychoactive part. It's the medicine part. But generally, um, from my understanding, it's mainly about inflammation. And yeah. so people, people promote it as a pain reliever. And it does relieve pain if your pain is from inflammation. Mm-hmm. If it's not from inflammation, then it's not a pain reliever. So it's like, I just hate, there's, obviously I believe in the, the power of cannabis but I hate the people that just are unwilling to acknowledge that there is a negative side for some people. And then a lot of it's like they're snake oil salesmen. They're just yeah. trying to sell it to you. Exactly. This will cure, this will fix it all. You got anxiety, done. You got pain, done. Yep. It'll take care of all of it. Snake oil, that's exactly it. Yep. So, and I think right now that's just an, coming from ignorance. It has to. People don't understand it because it's been demonized for such a long time. And now yeah. that it's kind of coming out in the culture and in the zeitgeist a little bit more. People have questions. Yep. And and that's it. Lack of understanding. I'm I'm still learning about the industry. You know, like I've still got mentors that I look up to that are teach that are they're still learning, but I'm still learning. And most everybody in the industry is still trying to figure out what the fuck it's all about. <laughs> we have it's just I mean, what, thirty maybe my time I'm off, probably forty years ago is when they realized that we shouldn't keep the males around the females. And since then, it's just been like, oh, shit, what else can we figure? I mean, to this day, if you go from one farm out in the area where I, I live, I told you that everybody does what I do. Everybody's a grower, um, or most people are growers. Um, you go from one farm to another farm to another farm, all of them are going to have different feeding schedules, different spray schedules, different compost teas, or whether compost tea is even beneficial. Um, you know, some of these may not some of those things may not make sense to you but like the point being is that everybody has their own process right everybody swears by it (laughs) yeah but most of those guys probably go good cannabis yeah you know so it's like what works what doesn't we're still all all of us are still trying to figure it out well when you talk about the industry i mean how long has the industry actually existed 10 years as an industry yeah i mean you know so i think it was 90 Early 90s, 93, I think, uh, maybe, I think 93, maybe a little later is when California, 95, I don't know, not important, but mid to early 90s is when California made it uh, legal medicinally. And then for- So 25 years tops. Yeah. That's hardly any time at all. Yeah. And that's just medical. And then for about 20 years, it remained at that level, only California and only medicinal for about 20 years. And then finally- it was, you know, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, I think, were the first three that legalized it. Colorado, I think, was the first. And I, if I'm getting some information wrong, guys, I'm not a I'm professional grower. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a Jamie. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking no about Jamie. getting a, uh, like a Google Home yeah. <laughs> and like just sitting it over here. So I'm like, hey, Google, 
But we're not there yet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if I don't have all the information exactly correct, but uh, Colorado, I think, was one of the first ones uh, to not just legalize it, but have it on the market first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, because there was like, everybody was trying to, and so there's 11 states that have it recreational now, as of the last time I've checked, it was 11. Um, and all of them have different laws. Yeah. You know, so we're all trying to figure out, like, we don't know what the laws are. There's track and trace programs in some. I worked in Washington at an indoor grow for a little bit, and their track and trace system is insane. It's just super. They're just super specific. You have to do things exactly a certain way. Like so, if a plant was dying or dead, and we wanted to get rid of it, we had to quarantine it for seventy-two hours, and that literally just meant put it in a taped-off area on the floor and let it set for seventy-two hours. Nothing happened in that 17, 72 hours. It didn't. It wasn't because it was diseased. There wasn't any real reason. It's just the state required us, so we did it. What do you think it was? Just because they were worried about like legal cannabis making its way outside of that building in an illegal way. Maybe, maybe. But I mean, we had like, I think we had forty cameras in those warehouses. Yes. I mean, every inch was covered in cameras. They all had to be kept on file for a certain amount of time. Every single plant had a tag with a barcode on it throughout its entire life. I mean, it was just like, and the price, because uh, so many people were growing, the price plummeted in Washington. So, and Oregon, Oregon had a major problem. But, um, so it's like, I mean, it, for the longest it was the wild, wild west. People, yeah. You know, people were putting up, I'm sure some people have seen Murder Mountain. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it, yeah. It's a documentary on Netflix. I literally live 30, maybe 45 minutes away from Goodness from murder, quote unquote murder. And, and for people who haven't seen that, tell them the story about it. Um, I don't really know it. Um, just like a lot of documentaries, you, you have to be careful because for the same reason of the snake oil people, people are trying to sell you on something or not sell you on something, but they're trying to convince you of their argument. They have an agenda. Agenda. They, exactly. That's the best way to put it. So it was over-dramatized to a point. It's like I, one of the hotels that they've been at, it's in Garberville. Um, I've been to that hotel and they're like sitting outside with their mask on. Oh, I'm waiting on this guy, you know, like changing their voices. And uh, it's just like, man, that's not how we did it. That's not how anybody did it. Um, you know, luckily, uh, California kind of, it's come a long way. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Um, I enjoy what I do. But, and I understand the regulations, but I think they're trying to over-regulate it to make a point. Yeah. You know, just to be like, uh, because we should treat it like alcohol, I think. In some manners, it should be treated as a regulated substance like alcohol. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely way more regulated than alcohol. Yeah. Um. So, it's not like, I don't know. It's, it's everybody's still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's a transitionary period. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, uh, on that side, though, it's been super encouraging. Because in our lifetime, this is one of the only things, not only. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this has been one major thing that from a local level, we've watched national change happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely within the pe- next 10 years, it'll be legal federally. Like, 
something has massively gone wrong if it's not. Yeah, it seems like probably that will be something that the next presidential administration will address. It just doesn't make any sense not to financially, economic, like economically, like societal wise, like people don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Reefer madness era is over. Right. People realize that, oh, you're, you might eat a bag of chips and fall asleep. Like, oh no. Or you might be really sad and, and then it'll make you really happy. For yeah. <laughs> oh, you might giggle for the next three hours. <laughs> oh, you're not going to smoke a whole joint and beat your wife. Right. Like, and also I know people who smoke regularly who are very, very highly capable people. Mm-hmm. They contribute. So that whole, that whole stigma about like lazy stoner can't get anything done is disappeared also. And I think. The the bad name is that the lazy people that became stoners got more lazy. Yeah. It it almost for me, it accentuates my existing personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm a pretty goofy type I can be a pretty goofy type of person. <laughs> I get ha ha and I get goofier, you know? Or uh I get I, I like to learn new things. So sometimes I'll get ha and I'll be like, I'll go into the YouTube tunnel and just be like, oh, da, da, oh, researching this, looking at that. Um, like, you know, I learned how to do, make jewelry. <laughs> uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, wire wraps, uh, photography that way. I'm, I think the next thing I'm really gonna apply myself to is doing some woodworking. That's cool. Um, you and Troy could talk about that. He was taking, he was telling me about taking a class. In wood. Oh, wow. I'm actually curious of where he, d- I looked at a place here, well, in Lexington, uh, called Woodcraft that I was thinking about taking some lessons. I'd have to reach out to him. Dollar Adam. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for part one of our conversation with Chris Young. I know it was a doozy, but guess what? We definitely saved the best for last on this one. So make sure you tune in Wednesday and catch the second half of this show. For some reason, people aren't listening to part twos as much as they're listening to part one. So I need to figure out how to remedy that problem. So if you guys have any ideas, reach out to me on the Facebook group. What would improve your listener experience? I'm happy to hear it. We just got a new feature set up on the Patreon page where people who have decided to support the show and become patrons now get to hear both part one and part two released together on Sunday. So that's a cool new feature. So for those of you guys out there who want to show your support by becoming a Patreon patron, that's just one new thing that kind of sweetens the pot a little bit. So something to think about. For anybody else who's listening who wants to help out, please share the Facebook page, share the Instagram page. Let people know about what we're making over here. Share your favorite episodes. I can't wait to see you guys on Wednesday. I hope you all have a great week. Bye.